Well, folks, uh, good morning, and um, just a warm welcome to you if you've joined us as we've been worshiping. This is our day, hasn't it? This is our day. This is the day we celebrate. He rose again. He really did. He really died, and he really rose again. And it's because of that. We have life in all its fullness. And there are people here this morning. You've come. You're here. You've been brave to get here. You're sitting in the school hall with all these strange people around you. And you're here because he has drawn you here. He's drawn you here because he knows what you need. And he knows that what he has is what you need. And he knows through the blood of Jesus shed for you is enough for you. In the striving, in the brokenness, in the sadness, in the loneliness, in all of those things, he is the one. He has risen and he comes to give us life. We live in a world where we're striving, we're trying all the time, trying really hard. And I understand uh, the merits of that. You work hard to get to provide. No pain, no gain. And I understand those sentiments. And I understand that that's a good thing and leads to lots of good things. But the message this morning is real simple. You don't need to try. Because he's done it. Sit back, relax. We can go home now. He has done it. It is finished. And so the message is simple. Quit striving. He's already done it. Um, The word passion, we sometimes talk about during uh, Easter time. Uh, Passion is an immense, uh, intense emotion, a compelling enthusiasm or desire for someone or something. And um, passion is taken from the Greek verb, which means to suffer. And uh, sometimes you might have heard the passion play. You may, may well have seen the, uh, the adaptation of the last few hours of Jesus on the cross called The Passion, the Mel Gibson movie. Passion meaning to suffer and out of Jesus' strong, intense emotion for us, his people and for humanity, he chose the cross. He was compelled to suffer for us. And so... Today what I want to do for the next while is, uh, is actually not talk so much about the cross or the resurrection. It's actually to take us back a day before. We're on Thursday. It's Passover meal. And I want to share that story together, just unpack a few things and see kind of how it relates uh, to us. So we're on Thursday night, it's Passover supper, a day early uh, for Jesus and the disciples. And we find this in John's gospel with John 13, a few verses, and then we're going to unpack it together. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin 
and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Uh, it came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet, Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet, their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Jesus knows the hour is drawing near where he must endure the cross. He knows that Satan has already prompted Judas to go and tout on Jesus and tell, uh, tell the people where he is uh, so that they can come and arrest him. But Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Jesus knew his true identity. He knew who he was. He was secure in the fact that he was the son of God, that he was the son of man. He was secure in knowing that all power was given to him, that one man. And he later quotes that, doesn't he? He says, all power and authority is given to me. He had come from and been sent and was going to be sent back to God. He was totally secure in who he was and he knew exactly where he was going after the cross. And because of his identity, because he knew he was so, he got up from the meal, takes off his outer clothing, wraps a towel around his waist, pours water into a bowl and he begins to wash the feet of the disciples. Honouring Jesus' request for privacy, that the hired room, the upper room, was, uh, was kind of a special place where Jesus had, had it set up for the last supper, for the last meal together. And the bowl of water would have been left there. But the servant that would have normally been employed or would have been there, should be there to wash the feet of the disciples as they walked in. It was a customary thing to wash the dust and the dirt off the, off the feet as they came in. But requesting the privacy of Jesus' special meal, the servant wasn't there. And so they sat, reclined, low down around the table. Not on a chair, but kind of low down as they would have been just enjoying their time together. But during the course of this meal that they have, Jesus stands up. And he begins to wash the feet of the disciples. It's something so incredibly inappropriate, culturally speaking. His act of servanthood by the great rabbi would have been unthinkable for the disciples. It was too much for Peter to comprehend. And Peter basically says, Jesus, no, not me. You're not going to wash my feet. You can understand it, can't you? You can understand kind of the pride. You imagine someone, a real special dignitary. 
You imagine, you imagine the queen, you imagine someone of just great importance and significance coming and saying, I'm going to wash your feet today. You can imagine that, can't you? You can imagine Simon Peter's reaction. It's like, no, wait, you, you can't do that. You can't do that. And Jesus says uh, these things. He says this, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And I think that we can translate that as a metaphor for us today. At this very point, he's washing the feet of the disciples. He's washing their feet. But soon, he's going to wash their conscience clean, their dirty minds clean, their hard hearts with his blood. And Jesus is saying to him there, and I think we can use it as a metaphor to us today, unless we allow him to wash us, we have no part in him. And we must choose it. We must choose it. To choose him. To choose and give our yes to him. And to allow him to minister to us. We cannot rub it out. All the stuff that we do, we cannot rub it out. But only he, through the blood shed on the cross, can rub it out. This act of washing the disciples' feet... Um, was an act of service. It was a demonstration of servanthood. And I love it. Jesus is just the most compelling, amazing teacher. And he not only teaches like this. Those of you who are teachers, you'll know this. There are three types of learners. There are auditory learners. Right now, this is an auditory kind of way of teaching. I'm talking, you're meant to be listening. Most of you are. What? Pardon? <laughs> And then there are visual learners, people that learn through seeing. And then there are called kinesthetic learners. Kinesthetic learners learn from doing. And Jesus just, he did this all the time through the Gospels. He taught by showing. And he acts this thing out where he, he brings the, the, the he, just, he washes the feet. And he says, do you understand what I have done for you? Do you get what it is that I have done? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. He teaches them this brilliant lesson of servanthood. There should be a picture about to come up on the screen, I'm hoping. And uh, I saw this literally last night. And uh, this is a picture of the Pope who uh, this week uh, was uh, washing the feet of some refugees. There were 12 refugees, eight men, four women uh, from different cultural backgrounds, some Christian, some Muslim, some Hindu. What a powerful image. The most powerful or the most influential authority of the Catholic Church on his knees with a bowl Washing the feet of refugees, people with nothing, people who have escaped the most horrendous things that we see on the news every time we switch it on. And there he is, the head of the church, the head of the Catholic church, modeling to, to us, his people, to anyone who would claim to follow Jesus. This is what Jesus did. This is what I'm doing. And we are called to do this metaphorically speaking. We can wash each other's feet if we want to, 
But metaphorically speaking, we are called to follow and obey what he did for us. And it's amazing because during this same meal, the disciples have got a bit of a power struggle going on. You see, Luke writes this. A dispute also arose among them. This is during the same mealtime. Of which of them was considered to be the greatest. Jesus said to them, the greatest among you should be like the youngest. And the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves and he just taught it brilliantly you see the thing was the revolution was about to begin the disciples didn't quite know what was actually happening they knew it was happening they knew in Jerusalem at that time something was significant was taking place and even though Jesus had told them I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die but I will rise again three days later they missed it they did not understand it They didn't actually see it coming the way that it actually happened. We know it because we know the story afterwards. But before the story unfolded, they did not understand. And they knew that this revolutionary was was happening and that Jesus had come to restore um, what was lost for them as a people. And this revolutionary leadership was not anything about what Jesus had come. They'd missed it. They'd missed the point. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, if you want to be in my gang, Get on your knees and serve. It's the greatest leader. He knew who he was. He was secure. All authority had been given to him and yet he bowed the knee to us, to serve us. And he invites us to go do the same. And I love it. I love it about our church. I love it that we get this. And I love it that we understand this, but not only understand it, but we practice this and that we do this. We go to love and serve the broken, the hurting the marginalized, the destitute, those on the margins and fringes of society. Jesus calls us, his disciples, to go do likewise. Some other incredible things take place during this meal. One of them is the betrayal. It's just incredible that Judas is at the table in the first place. And uh, Judas is close by, seated near to Jesus. And during this time, he knows what's happening. And the bread is passed to him. Judas dips it into the bowl of sauce. That point, that was it. Jesus releases him, says, go do what you need to do. And into the night, Judas goes. He goes, finds the Jewish authorities who later, in the Garden of Gethsemane, come and they arrest and they take Jesus with him. The amazing thing is Judas was there and he shared in with the meal. Now, the meal was incredible. We're going to talk a little bit about the menu. You see, in Passover, they have a Passover festival or Passover meal. There's this word called seder. I'm probably pronouncing it incorrectly. But it's basically the way things are done, the order in which it's done. And there were lots of different types of foods and different drinks that the Jewish people would actually celebrate. And it was like a set kind of meal. And each of the foods and the drinks that they would have had a meaning to it, a meaning uh, attached to it. And remember that pilgrims were gathered from all over, like from miles and miles. They'd come to Jerusalem to celebrate this festival called Passover, 
a reminder to some, and this is going to be completely new to others. What is this thing called Passover? Well, Passover was something that happened centuries before to the people of God, to the Israelites, when they were slaves held in captivity in the country of Egypt, not the promised land where they had come from and where they were going to return to. And God sends these horrendous plagues to the people of Egypt and to Pharaoh, Pharaoh who represented um, the people against uh, God's people. And the the tenth and the final plague was that God was going to strike down the firstborn child of all of the Egyptian people. And so God uh, tells Moses, tells tells the people of Israel, what you must do to protect your own children, to protect your own firstborns, is you need to actually prepare yourself. And by doing so, he commands them, you're going to take, you're going to have a special meal. You're going to have some bread in there without yeast because you need to get going fairly soon and you're not going to have time for the yeast to work in the bread and that's why it's called unleavened bread, bread without yeast. He says you're going to need to take a, a lamb or a goat unblemished and the lamb, you need to slaughter the lamb, you need to take some of the blood from the lamb and you need to paint it onto the doorposts of your houses where you live and in so doing when I come at night time and I come to take the lives of the firstborns, I will pass over yours. Hence the word Passover. And during the night, that's exactly what happened. The firstborns of the Egyptians uh, in their sleep at night time, um, they were taken. Horrendous. But God spared those people who had painted using the blood of the lamb. The significance of what we've sung about this morning, about the lamb. Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. And during this meal that they share together, Jesus kind of redefines things. And what he does is he takes bread. I hope it doesn't squeak. It doesn't squeak. Good, we're good. He takes uh, some bread. And we're going to do this. We're going to share this together. And he gives thanks to God. And then what he does is he breaks the bread in their company. It wouldn't have been a a hamburger roll with sesame seeds on it. It would have been unleavened bread. Bread without yeast. Kind of a flat type thing. And uh, and what what he's doing in in that moment is he's saying, guys, this bread is my body. And at that time... The disciples be thinking, goodness, this is a bit interesting. This, you're now saying this, but that's goodness, okay. And then he invites them to take and to eat of the bread. And goodness, for the, for the Jews in, those, in that time, that would have just been really, really shocking to them. And in effect, what he's saying is, I am the lamb. This bread that you eat is my body broken for you? And he tells him, you must do this. In the same way, um, he takes some wine. And um, what they would have done during the course of the Passover meal, there are four toasts, four separate occasions when, when a toast is made. And again, each one of them uh, is, is significant. And the third of the toasts uh, represents the redemption of of the people being released from 
Egypt at that time. And so it's likely, it's possible, that during the third of the four toasts, Jesus would have redefined things at that moment. So he takes the cup, takes the wine, he says, this, this is my blood. And you're to drink this uh, in remembrance of me. It's for the forgiveness of sins and it is poured out for us. He's redefining this Passover meal. And he's saying, you were once slaves held in captivity in a place that was not your own. But I am redefining You no longer need the blood of the lamb because I am the lamb, the perfect, unblemished one. And I come and because of the sacrifice that I'm going to make soon through the shedding of my blood, it is enough to cover over and to cleanse your conscience of everything that you have done and everything that you will do. The blood was poured out for many. And that's Thursday. We've only got Friday, Saturday, Sunday to cover. And so to the cross. My sense is that many of us know the story. Jesus endures the pain of anticipation in Gethsemane. He's abandoned by his friends. He goes through a false trial and is uh, convicted of crimes that he had not committed. He's punched in the face. He receives 40 lashes of whipping. He is mocked, he is spat at, forced to wear a crown of thorns, forced to carry his own cross through parades of people. He is stripped naked, he is nailed to a cross through his hands and through his feet. He suffers hanging on the cross for hours. Whilst there, naked, for all to see, dying, bleeding, he is still continually mocked by people around him. He dies and is separated from the Father. I'm going to take a couple of minutes on that one alone. He's separated from the Father. On the cross, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Previously, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus displays his human side when he prays, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. And it also says that his soul was sorrowful, even to the point of death. And we assume that the, the, the emotions that he's experiencing is that at that time. The Bible says that it was like he was sweating blood at that time as well. Is the anguish of the pain of the cross and everything that he has to go through. <clears throat> and whilst that absolutely is part and parcel of it, it is possible that, that the anguish was actually about being separated from the Father. He had never been separated from the Father. He had been in right relationship with him since time began. And it's in this time that he sacrifices his perfect relationship with the Father so that we can have right relationship with the Father. And so this morning, we talked about striving. We don't need to strive. We don't need to work hard to invite God to like us or to love us. He's already done it for us. His sacrifice was made once and for all. And all we need to do is say thank you and receive and to allow him to wash us clean. It's good news, right? This is our day. 
and welcome little ones as you come in. You're so good. Come on in and um, remain really quiet if you can. I know that it's a wee bit fidgety and stuff. What we want to do is we're going to just spend some time and we're going to share communion. Now, communion, I've kind of done that or I've shown that, is we are going to, when you are ready, come and receive of bread and uh, wine or there's uh, juice as well. And there are four different places that you can go to. There's two at the front and two at the back. I felt like an air stewardess at that moment. You like that? And uh, whenever you're ready, go. Now, there are two qualifications to taking communion. Because there are going to be some of you thinking, I've never done that before and I don't think that's for me. And that's okay. And that's actually right. So there are first two, two qualifications. One is... You need to have given your yes to Jesus. You need to have said yes to God. And you're saying, yes, I choose to follow you. Okay, so that's number one. And number two is you have to be a sinner. Okay, so if you're without sin, this is not for you. Right? So they're the two qualifications. Now, what we want to do, and recognize and realizing that the children in the room, is this is a holy moment. And so during it, we're gonna, you, you come and you take. And when you're not coming, you're not taking, then please remain in an attitude of worship and of prayer. The guys are going to come who are going to lead our worship. They're going to come first and then they're going to lead worship. And we would encourage you to stand and to, and to sing the songs that come up. But it's not a time for talking. It's a time for reflection and um, for taking this. Whilst we kind of make it a little... Uh, yeah, it's a serious moment, is what I'm trying to say. So, um, would we feed? Would we feed? That's terrible. Would we? Uh, would the band come and um, they can get, and then they can lead? That'd be great.